Hi, welcome to season three of the Pictures Out There podcast series. Today in chat number one, Lee and Dave talk about Franklin Roosevelt, Dave's dad, Microsoft, George Carlin, gaming, and much more. And now, here's Dave and Lee. Well, hi, everybody. This is Dave. And this is Lee. Welcome back to season three. Is it already season it's three? It's season three. Man. Yes. Yeah. Man. Yeah. I was a young man when we started this. <laughs> and here in season three, we're going to be calling these things chats mm-hmm. as opposed to Podcasts. Episodes, podcasts, right? Yeah. right. They're, they're they're still podcasts. Okay, they they're still are. We just don't want to put a formal moniker on it like programming <laughs> because that would be overselling it. That's right. We do want to welcome our present day audience as we're recording here in 2023. Welcome to you. Hello, hello, hello. We also want to welcome our audiences in the future, in years and decades and centuries from now. Mm-hmm. We hope. I don't know how they're going to find these, Lee. If they're going to, you know, pick up a rock and the podcast is going to be underneath it. Or, yeah, or maybe at the Smithsonian. <laughs> we don't know yet. <laughs> but somewhere. And so we always have uh, the intent to, to have this as kind of a historical record of things that are important and that we're talking about here in our present day. And we also are anticipating having a AI audience, advanced intelligence, artificial intelligence, if you want to use that term, that mm-hmm. is listening to this, extracting hopefully wisdom or things from this that they like. Yes. So welcome to you guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also maybe some aliens, Lee. I don't know. It could happen. I don't know. And I like what you've stated previously, uh, our universal audience. Yeah. And perhaps that's the best term to describe it, right? Universal is all encompassing. And that's what we hope that we are uh, to whom we are speaking. We give this to the cosmos. Yes. Yeah. So we're so glad all of you all are listening and thanks a bunch for joining us. So what are your ideals? What are your pictures? We'll always start with those two questions to kind of set up the conversation. So let's orient things a little bit to the format of the chats that we're anticipating for season three here. We're going to have a veritable smorgasbord of topics on each. What, what was that <laughs> accent? I don't know. Smorgasbord? <laughs> Certainly one in Scandinavia, so I don't know <laughs> what that was. A buffet. A uh, whatever. And all you can eat. <laughs> yeah, for nine ninety nine. Okay. And, and so some of the topics we're going to have in this smorgasbord are going to be serious, but we're going to be treating, and we're going to be treating them seriously, yes. but we're going to be doing them lightly serious, I guess you would say. Mm-hmm. We're, we're going to maintain a sense of humor while we're talking about these. And again, treat serious topics seriously, but also make sure we remember to laugh and see the humor and things along the way. That's always really important. Yes, absolutely. We feel that you can't ever lose having a good sense of humor, or then we will have real problems. Uh Yeah. So as Dave is hinting at, we're absolutely going to do our best to infuse optimism. And another key value, we want to infuse gratitude Mm -hmm. throughout these chats because we all have all sorts of reasons to be optimistic about the future, even among all of the world's existing and future challenges. Yeah, so as we're talking about these very serious topics, know that we are very optimistic about our ability to deal with them and take them to a new place. So we're also going to take the opportunities we talk about a lot of these different topics to make a connection 
between them and some of the concepts or ideas that we've talked about in previous podcasts and then the book pictures out there mm-hmm. and uh, also that are going to be in the next book. Wait a minute. There's going to be another book. There's going to be another book. Congratulations. (laughs) Yes. Ideals Out There is going to be the name of it. It should come out toward the end of this calendar year. So think of, you know, December-ish 2023. And so very excited about that. So anyway, let's go ahead, uh, Lee, and just dive into a few topics. I am ready. Okay. So we'll start with a very famous quote that is related to one of the what we call life journey tools that we discussed in a podcast last season. And the way to think of these tools that we'll refer to is we are where we are at any point in time. We create a picture of where we want to be and we get from where we are to that picture via living our ideals and with the benefit of these tools mm-hmm. along the way when we hit roadblocks or have something that that we need some energy around. Mm-hmm. So this is one of those tools, and it's a tool that we called Fear to Courage to Love, and it's talking about how we can create a habit of whenever we are fearful or have something that uh, we are uncomfortable about or that gives us trepidation, we can move from that state to a state of courage and action and doing that in love. And so do, and doing that is a habit whenever new issues, concerns, problems, and situations arise. Mm-hmm. So, yes, this so quote. Here is the very famous quote that is going to establish the context for this chat. It is from Franklin Delano Roosevelt, former president of the United States of America, uh, from the 1930s through the 19, uh, halfway through the 1940s. Mm -hmm. He said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. FDR was right. (laughs) He was absolutely universally right. Dave and I believe there's further wisdom in this quotation. Just about all of us have a lifelong fear of being afraid. We're going to be okay if we just don't succumb to fear. Yes. And so that phrase has stuck around here now almost 100 years later is something that people remember. That Lee, the notion of being afraid and fighting the fears that I think all of us have at different points in time that surge within us, uh, one of the things that we have a fear of is just being afraid. Being afraid. I don't want to be afraid. Literally, no joke intended, I'm afraid of being afraid. Yeah. 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 I, you know, we have, I think most of us have different patterns to that. I know I have some times where I wake up in the morning and there's something that just, I've been dreaming about it or something. I don't know. I kind of wake up afraid yes. about something. Right. I have some fear. It happens to of all of us. Yeah. You know? yeah. And then you have to spend a little bit of time trying to overcome okay, that. Set that, that aside. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Or you may have, you know, that happen as you're getting ready to fall asleep. <laughs> you have that thing that yes. you can't help thinking about and being afraid of. Yeah. You know, the notion that we have uh, of Uh, being afraid of things. We're working through the thing we're afraid of, whatever that specifically may be, but we're also trying to, God, will this just stop? Yeah. I'm so sick of being afraid. Yes. I just don't want to feel that. I want to be done with this feeling. One of the things that we would um, postulate here is that when we have a fear and we're trying to overcome it, there is a real power in being able to name what that fear is. Now, naming that fear may be 
just calling out the specific thing, or it may be a person, or it may be a situation that we're afraid of, or mm-hmm. it may be some future scenario we're imagining yes. that's going to happen. Call that out. Describe it. Name it. Visualize it. Put a label on it. it. And then kind of go, okay, can I deal with that? Mm-hmm. And, and can I act? Yes. You know, and so, right. so we think lots of times the key to this notion of moving from fear to courage to action or love is naming it. And we get stuck when we are afraid to confront that fear, mm-hmm. when we're afraid to name it, yes. when we're afraid to go, no, nah, I need to, I need to dig into this. What is it that I'm actually imagining here? Or if it's something real, why am I imagining that I can't deal with it? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Because very probably previously in your life, you've demonstrated great capacity to deal with all kinds of fears. You've come through it successfully. So let's dig into this just a bit further. Mm -hmm. There's evidence behind what we're suggesting here. The simple act of naming it. Oh, I'm afraid of flying. I'm afraid of snakes. I'm afraid of that guy who lives down the street. Mm -hmm. That right there, that simple act is not a magic elixir. It's not foolproof, Mm -hmm. but it is an important, powerful, psychological, emotional, spiritual step toward being able to recognize why I'm afraid of it and begin to manage it in a healthy fashion. And as you're trying to figure out how to actually take the right action Mm -hmm. that's going to address the fear, that naming and visualizing of what that fear is then allows you, as you're thinking about actions you could take, to pick the right ones. Yeah. Right. If I haven't gone through and said, really, what is it I'm actually imagining? Mm-hmm. Then the actions I may do may not actually hit that scenario yeah. that I'm really afraid of. Yeah, that's right. Let me give you a, a, a common corollary, which is you go to a physician, you haven't been feeling well, and the physician asks you a number of diagnostic questions and you're not coming up with very clear answers. Well, what is the physician left with? Well, I guess I'll just treat you for something and we'll see if that helps. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but if you can very specifically name, no, I've got severe pain in my abdomen. Okay. The physician says now we're getting somewhere on being able to treat it or deal with it. Exactly. Yep. So we'd say it's really important to, in those situations, name the fear. And part of what Roosevelt did with that quote was not only bring out the danger of being afraid, but really kind of called out we are afraid. Yes. I mean, he, ba- he basically said, look, yeah. we're, this is a situation where all of us could be very afraid. Let's confront that. Yes. Okay. Now let's fight it. Right. Yeah. yeah. My dad used to have a saying, I this, love is, this. this is where my dad comes into this. I love this. Uh, he had a phrase that he said occasionally, and it was nothing scares me like scared people. Mm-hmm. And I think it really gets at that notion of scared people who are not confronting their fear you never know what they're going to do they might act very irrationally yeah they might react in the moment and regret their actions the next moment and it's not just the things that they might do to you or to other people it's what they can do to themselves yeah if they have not really thought through what their fear is i had a a guy that worked with me uh, for a number of years who i had not seen uh, for i think about 15 years and i saw him a few weeks ago and we were talking and kind of catching up. And he said, you know, I remember what your dad said. Oh, wow. And he remembered this quote. Wow. Which I think I'd said it to him once or twice. Yeah. And he, like, said, I think about that probably once a month. Yeah. Well, there is great <laughs> resonance and great wisdom in that quote. Yeah. Yeah. So we really do want to identify and name our fears 
and we may, may find ourselves stuck really in worry land or stress land. We'll call it, it sounds kind of like candy land or something. A but board it's not. Game, but it's not. It's stress land. It's not fun. <laughs> you know, it's not a pleasant place to be. And when we have that situation where we just feel stuck in our worry or in our stress, we would really encourage us to, to name that fear and see if we can't get out of that fear mode into courage and action. Yes. So to maybe close out this segment of the chat, it is our belief that those of you listening to this in the future have already developed very strong and routine what we'll call reinforcement or structures to resist fears and additionally to resist the fear of fear. Perhaps you talk about it openly. Perhaps you teach skills that help you name fears because by first naming them, it is a step toward managing them. And don't we probably in the future, we're imagining that you all give people license to acknowledge initially being afraid. Yes. I mean, part of what happens or where we end up with worry or stress is we don't want people to know. know. It's a sign of weakness. It's a sign of we don't want people to know that we're afraid of something Mm -hmm. or that we have. And we imagine you all in the future who are listening to this have kind of gone, well, we got past that. Yeah, we talk about it openly. Yeah, and we just said the big thing is, you know, that can be a reaction that's just human. The big thing then is to bring it out into the open and deal with it. Yeah. So let's turn our attention now to another of the life tools that we talked about in the podcast last season, and it's having a great balance in our life, okay? So some notions here. How do we approach the thought of quitting something uh-huh. that perhaps we've spent a lot of time and energy and resources on? Wait, wait, okay? wait. Quitting? Yeah, quitting. Calling it quits. I gave so some, this a shot, and I'm walking away from well, it. Well, that, that person's just a quitter. They're quitter. a quitter, a loser. They're a loser. Yeah. They're just giving up. Right, right, You just right. never give up. Yeah. Right? You just never quit. Didn't your junior high school volleyball coach teach you anything? <sighs> oh, my God. <laughs> we have a funny thing. I've, I've had uh, situations with uh, kids that of every type that I've addressed, and one of the things that's interesting to me is – when uh, the decision happens and there's some activity that they've gotten involved in or their parents got them involved in it and they do it to some certain point and maybe get a certain level of skill to it and everything and then they want to quit you know and the the notion of whether or not that's okay to quit or not there's a the, the balance and the reason this kind of comes up in the balance life tools piece here is if we're going to be curious, right, which we believe and I think is a wonderful virtue to be lifelong learners and keep being curious and stuff. Yes. Well, if you never quit anything, is life just this constant adding on? (laughs) It's like if you never never quit something or set something aside, then you're never going to have time to learn new things. Yeah, so let's pick up on that phrase you just used, set something aside, Mm -hmm. which implies... You might return to it in some future day and in some future way. Yeah. So there is quitting, meaning I'm done with this. Yeah. But there's also, you know what, I'm going to quit for right now. It's interesting to think of layers of life and whether or not if you quit something, do you ever lose that? Or does that just become part Part of your your experience? experience. Yeah. (laughs) That you carry with you and that continues to influence you in all sorts of ways. Yeah. So what I'm about to share is not rocket science. And perhaps many of you have had the same experience. When my children were growing up and they tried numerous activities, some of which they tried and quit, 
I always try to sit them down upon the day of quitting and say, this is fine that you're doing that. You have my support. What did you learn from this? And even if they were seven, eight, nine years old, and maybe they weren't able to verbalize much, we always at least took the minute to say, well, what did you think you got out of this? Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it true, though, that when we, when we quit something at any point in time, and as adults, too, is, I know it is for me. If I'm, if I'm going to quit something and set it aside, I cannot help but have this moment where I go, well, what are other people going to think? I can't, yeah. I can't help it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Right. And I laugh about it as I'm doing it. Yep. And I end up reconciling and kind of going, well, what difference does that really make? I may, if I'm quitting something that involves other people, I may need to explain it to them. Yes. Yeah. But, but if it's it, a solo solitary pursuit, yeah. Yeah. Or, or it's, or it's kind of my choices, mm-hmm. you know, it's my life choices. Why, why do I care so much what other people think or yeah. why would that be? And sometimes that's, that's kind of a, you know, thing where you go, why, why am I doing that? Yeah. I think we've been societally <laughs> conditioned, yeah. uh, directly and indirectly to have embarrassment and shame around quitting. Yeah. 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 There's always, too, uh, Lee, I think, in, in looking at the balance of things we're doing and things we're quitting and things we're taking on, I kind of think of it as a pipeline. You know, what's our pipeline of activity? And people will lots of times either say, gee, I'm just too busy, or I don't have enough to do. I mean, mm-hmm. those being the two extremes, I guess, of the pipeline doesn't right. feel right. Yeah. You know, and so I think that's a, a good way to think of it, is we all have a, a pipeline where we kind of feel like our life is full and and uh, we're satisfied with that. It doesn't feel overwhelming, mm-hmm. but uh, it feels full. feels yeah. like we're doing everything we can. And so that, that starting something and stopping something thing needs to fit within that balance of a good yeah. pipeline. Yeah. Okay, let's move on. One of the things we're going to do in these podcasts is we're going to hit a relatively current event and something that just caught our eye and that was interesting to us. And some of these will be things that certainly present-day listeners may be aware of. There may be a thing or two that uh, is pretty surprising, and we're going to try to hit things that are probably more likely to be in that, oh, you may not have heard of this. Uh, A little over two years ago, President Biden signed an executive order to promote competition in the U.S. economy. And echoing the language of his predecessors, he said, competition keeps the economy moving and keeps it growing. What we've seen over the past few decades is less competition and more concentration that holds our economy back. So just competition being good, basically the message there. There was an interesting situation that came up, and this was news to me. And so we thought we'd put it in here where Mm -hmm. there's a proposed merger between Microsoft and a gaming company, Activision Blizzard. And I was completely unaware of how big gaming has gotten. Yes. I shouldn't have been because as soon as I hear some of these stats, it's like, well, yeah, duh. But um, currently today, the this merger that would be, uh, in effect, would be by far the biggest ever in video games after adjusting for inflation. But the game industry, the gaming industry, now accounts for huge chunks of the economy. It is larger than music. Which just... U.S. book publishing Astonishes and North me. American sports combined. And so Microsoft's game division and Activision Blizzard in this proposed merger each make more money annually than all U.S. movie theaters. <laughs> and then I sit there and go and think of think of all the younger relatives and younger friends I know yeah. who are constantly gaming. Yeah. And I go, well, why yeah. am I surprised? Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
you know, so this whole thing here of, of uh, and just out of, for interest's sake, the top companies in gaming revenue right now are some familiar names, Tencent, Sony, Apple, Microsoft, NetEase, Google, Electronic Arts, Activation, Blizzard, Nintendo, Take-Two, Interactive. Some of those you may not have heard of. Maybe some of you, probably some of you have heard of all of them. Right. But we thought it'd just be interesting to talk about this notion of competition and business concentration. And we do that with some of our pictures in mind about how do you have a balance of creating social good and doing things mm-hmm. while at the same time trying to keep an environment where people can be what they are capable of being individually. Yes. You know, and we do believe in a balance of that. You right. Know, there's a balance between social responsibility and liberty. So uh, when is business concentration good and when is it not, Lee? So, Dave, this is a very interesting question that you've placed before us here. And Lord knows I am not a Nobel laureate in economics, far from it. But this is what I think, at least in the United States of America, and this may be true or not true to varying degrees in other nation states around the world. In the U.S., we believe competition equals good, right? Mm -hmm. Why have we grown up with that? And why have we seen operationally that play out to be true in many cases? Well, it drives down prices for consumers. It increases variety and option and choices for consumers when it comes to consumable goods, right? So you might step back and go, ooh, if I'm a gamer and I spend considerable time and money uh, in that recreational activity, what will this proposed merger do for me? That game that I used to buy for $50, is it now suddenly going to cost $80? Mm-hmm. We have those kinds of thoughts when it comes mm-hmm. to competition and concentration, mm-hmm. right? But as it relates to our lives beyond buying and using goods, well, for me, my opinion only, I would prefer as many choices as that I can have access to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems to me like for a lot of, if you want to say, different industries or different uh, commodities or, or things that might be bought or sold, that we tend to treat all of them the same and we have this one overarching comment of competition's good yes and then when we see something as an example see something where it's like well this is really for the public good to go do this we need to have one or at at the most extreme a monopoly or we need to have you know three or four or something big companies in this industry because that's going to be for the social good or that's going to allow for money to innovate or things like that. Yes. And so really our economy is this mixed bag where we have things that, that uh, we've kind of as a society decided should be, there ought to be a bazillion competitors and at the other end maybe just you know one or a handful. And I think sometimes where I have my questions and my concerns is the choices we make mm-hmm. regarding which it is. So there's certain things where it's like, okay, for the social good of health. Yes. Why, why is that something that is not just taken care of? And if the most efficient way to do it is with X number of entities, why would we not as a society choose to do that? Yes. There may be something else that is purely kind of a pleasure thing or just a fun little thing to go do or, or a commodity where it's like, yeah, I don't care how many people. Mm-hmm. are doing that. That's great. If you want to go open a company and create this and there's already a million other companies doing that, cool. 
Yeah. Go do it. Right. And then everything in between. So I just question some of the choices around that. Yeah. So it's an interesting thing you bring up. The dichotomy there is around kind of public good versus individual choice, individual options. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What if a single entity, for example, could provide the best imaginable health care yeah. for the public good? Wouldn't we want that? Yeah. And frankly, those of you in the present day and perhaps those of you in the future will read history and understand that as we sit here in 2023 in the U.S. health system, because of tremendous numbers of competitors, it's too complicated. It's kind of a mess. People literally don't get the best medical care because of the competition. Right, right. We, for those of you in the future, what is still playing out, in our present day is, uh, for example, the notion of what are called today mom and pop businesses, particularly in small towns mm-hmm. and in uh, and in you know fairly small cities, but then also in big cities, we have you know huge companies like Walmart or Target. Yes, that you know ostensibly take away from the ability of a small business owner to get created to sell some of those commodities. Yep. And that's an ongoing debate yes. that we've had now for decades and are continuing to have about, you know, the the death of the small business, the death of the mom and pop store. And on the other side will and you know, job loss from that and on the other side will be, well, yeah, but you can get stuff cheaper. Right. If you have a bigger company that has logistics and distribution for that. Mm-hmm. And so there's not a an answer to that, it gets to be a question of our values, mm-hmm. right? Do we want something cheaply or do we want to have the touch point of small retail? Right. And, and now let's add on to that online purchasing, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so these things change. And, and, uh, I think again, what's a challenge to me is we don't really have pictures and ideals mm-hmm. in place as a society to help us think through quickly and smartly what some of those choices should be and Mm -hmm. it ends up being kind of this hodgepodge that kind of muddles along yeah yeah i agree so we would put this before you in response to dave's last comment our hope and belief and conviction is that you in the future who may be listening to this you not only have an appreciation and an intense focus on ensuring safety and security and health for human and non-human citizens all around the universe, but you're also trying to maximize opportunities for your citizens to freely explore life's possibilities on their own individual uniqueness as long as they're not doing harm to others. And I think we could boil that statement down to say what you just said so well a few moments ago. On the big important things that we would regard as the public good, and by the way, we're using the public in a rather generic sense there, universally good, Let's think carefully through what that looks like versus, hey, this is trivial, it's recreational, it's insignificant, it's doing no harm. I'd like a thousand opportunities to choose from in that context. And Lee, I would anticipate that in the future, there's still going to be new things that come up, right? Sure. Whether it's for humanity in the future, whether it's for AI in the future, aliens in the future, whatever, you're still going to have something new that pops up and you would have this question of what is this balance between, you know, the ability to go do as you wish individually without harm to others, or there's a societal thing going on here. And so we don't imagine that this is something that ever stops. Right. Which we think makes the notion of applying 
well thought through pictures and ideals mm-hmm. to that. Yes. Particularly important. Yeah. So absolutely. You make good timely decisions. Yeah. And have the value questions in mind before yeah. you press go. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to, uh, we've talked about occasionally we will have a segment. We don't know yet how often we'll have this segment. When it suits us. Yeah. When, <laughs> when we want to, <laughs> when something comes up that strikes us this way. But we, we imagine that occasionally we'll have a segment that we call Things You Wouldn't Believe. How in the world? And today we're going to chat about a number of the how in the world inventions or advances from history, uh, all of which at the time gave us little old humans mm-hmm. an incredible sense of wonder, optimism from the promise of new benefits, but also scared the bejesus out of us right gave us new fears yeah Ah, ah, ah. Mm -hmm. it was a thing that was either going to be a panacea and solve all the problems or it was (laughs) oh my god we're doomed Ah, ah. so let's let's go back to the beginning and and uh you know we're not going to say prometheus here we don't know how it happened (laughs) right but let's talk about the invention we'll call it of making fire. fire oh so if we can all put ourselves back in time right can you imagine that? I mean, can you imagine the first time that I'll call it a human being? Yeah. In whatever form it was. We want to describe yeah. as Neanderthal or whatever, you know, encountered fire. Yeah. Or experienced fire. Uh, must have been terrifying, I would think. <laughs> I, I, I guess I'm reluctant to think that the first belief was, oh, cool, a way to cook steaks. <laughs> I, I don't think that happened. It was more like, that feels hot, and it's coming right at me in the form of a forest fire or something caused by lightning. I'm getting the hell out of here. I have this, I have this uh, imagination that, it, that uh, you, you could feel the heat from it. You know, there's like three or four uh, people kind of sitting around here, we'll call them people, and they're all kind of going, hmm. This it kind of feels hot. Yeah. You know? Well, maybe it's not hot though if you grab it. Yeah. Maybe if you grab it, it's it's yeah. cool. Yeah. You know? Well, you want to try to grab it? And you go first. <laughs> why, don't you, why don't you do it? No, why don't you do it? <laughs> so obviously that was eventually I'm gonna use the term harnessed, meaning manipulated, taken control of, right, and used for good, right. which was maybe to cook food or provide warmth. And we've seen all sorts of movies and things, right? The depictions of, you know, cave people, we'll right. call them, who have this, <gasps> with fire. Right. And we're, we're kind of underscoring that. It is new. It's mm-hmm. something that's a new thing, and it makes us afraid. Yeah. And we have to get past that to then uncover what the opportunities are and what all the good things are. Mm-hmm. What about writing? Boy, yeah, imagine uh, the first people that were writing. Yeah, or, or created do, symbols of some kind. Yeah, drawings. That, that conveyed that meaning. A language. Yeah, it conveyed meaning of some kind. I'm sure the ones who were the inventors had good intent, <laughs> uh, a way to communicate their thoughts and beliefs and dreams and ideas. But others of those encountering them who weren't there at the time of creation might have thought, what the hell is this? No. What is this? Herbert is sitting there drawing these things on the cave wall. Yeah. Why are you doing that? What, what, would what? you get out there and gather some food? <laughs> what are you, what are you doing? Yeah. And <laughs> it's like, well, no, I'm trying to, this is a way to kind of, instead of just saying this to you, Bob, you know, we can memorialize it Yeah, and we can always remember this that way. Mm-hmm. Why? 
Yeah. What good is that? And guess what? I'm going to come back next year to the same cave wall and put the record of last year's harvest up here. So we'll have a running total and kind of begin to see patterns from year to year about what what's successful. And why, what's, why would we do that? I don't know. And you know what? Both <laughs> Herbert and Bob grew up to become accountants. <laughs> Oh, All right. Boy. Well, what about the wheel? I don't know about the wheel. I, I don't. I don't. Uh, if you read uh, ancient history, antiquity history, no one has any notion of how the wheel came to be. Yeah. Yeah. The best belief, and let me emphasize that, the best, most logical, most credible case is that it was invented for militaristic purposes. Yeah. I've got a weapon that's too heavy for me to move on my own. I got to mount it on something that will give me some physics to be able to move it from point A to point B. But wouldn't so, there be a fear if I if I said, you know, I've got this idea instead of us carrying things or we're using these square things to move things and right. they don't seem to work too good. Right. They kind of, yeah. you know, what if we made them round? I mean, the immediate fear would be, well, how are you going to control that? Yeah. Right. It's just going to roll mm-hmm. away. You're not going to have any control. Well, yeah. l- let's not do that because it's going to roll. Yeah. And somebody would probably be arguing back then, just don't do this. Oh, I'm sure that occurred. Don't do this at all. Right. And as other people go, well, can't we solve the rolling problem and get all the benefits out of this? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that probably happened. And I think we know who the advocate was. It was Herbert and the detractor (laughs) was Bob. Okay. Or or Brenda and Susan. It could have been. How about printing press? Now we're moving forward in history Hmm. and in time. Hmm. Well, I'm, I'm a great orator. And I like convincing in the community that I live, you know, back in, what now, millennia or two ago, um, I like being able to convince people by using my voice, by using my speaking voice, by using my thoughts. Yes. What is this thing where people are writing things down and then they have the ability to distribute it? I'm, I'm losing my influence. Right. I'm losing my influence because people really love hearing me talk. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and so I think this is a terrible idea and you're losing something because you can't see and hear the person speak. Yeah. And the nature of reproducing it somehow diminishes it. Yes. Yeah. It's making it less than. Yeah. Right. And somebody else is going, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. Right. Right. I can only put 300 people within the sound of your voice. Yeah. But maybe I can distribute this to thousands of people. But they won't understand it. Right. They're not hearing They're me. not hearing It's me. the inflection. It's the, the you know, thing I say. Yes. And you know what, what, that, you know what that eventually led to? You took that out of context. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, the automobile. I think we can address that one pretty quickly. I think the benefits from the invention of the automobile were pretty obvious pretty quickly. Right? Oh my gosh, instead of getting on a horse or walking, and it's going to take me three days to get to the next county over in this rural agrarian landscape, now I can get there in a matter of minutes or hours. You got to be kidding me. So the automobile collapsed time, arguably more than any other invention, until computers. But horses and coaches. What happened with them? Those are employing people. There's people that were employed whose job it was to prepare horses for people to ride or horses to lead coaches. And now you've put them out of work. Yeah. And I think there was, so we shouldn't do this. We should not do that. People have jobs, right? People have jobs. What are they supposed to go do? (laughs) There was some destroying their livelihood. There was a populist campaigner who probably said that. Yeah. 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 Right. Right. In fact, it's interesting because you know what the first automobiles were referred to as horseless carriages. Yeah. Premium value on the horse. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. 
And these automobiles, well, how do you run them? Well, you need to have, you know, you have to go get stuff. You have to get this stuff that's called gas, yeah. oil, to to run them. And if you're affluent, you actually bring a mechanic along with you. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Well, I've got a horse here, okay? You're making this so complicated. Right. I've got to learn how to do all of that. How, how, what does it take to learn how to operate one of these things? Well, you have to know da, da, da. that is too complicated. Yeah. I do not want to learn how to do that. That is way too complicated. Right. So here, I'll put a cap on the uh, topic of the automobile. Imagine the first accident in which someone was grievously injured or perhaps even killed. Stop this. Stop this. Stop this right now. This is obviously an instrument of death, yep. an yep. instrument of evil. Somebody got yeah. killed. Damn you for whoever was yeah. invented it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, we could probably talk about airplanes and flight in much the same way as the exactly. automobile. It collapsed time, et cetera, but it was frightful for many. Now, and I just said this a few minutes ago, let's get to the dawn of the computer age, which I think absolutely collapsed time in a more accelerated fashion than anything else that has ever been invented. And can we turn our minds back to when computers came along? Well, it's going to be a storehouse of information that's going to be used against us. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. we get into some of the applications, electronic mail. Hey, we are losing the touch of handwritten letters, mm -hmm. the personal touch. Mm -hmm. It feels so cold to and me. And I'm sure somebody else is going to be able to read my mail. Yeah. Right? It because seems, now we're on a network. This is such a cold, inhumane way to communicate. Yeah, it's yeah. just awful. And then more recently, we have internet, social media, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Slouch, X, whatever you want to call it, and they have their own implications and dynamics as well. So how is this cycle different in the future? Lee, is there a point to all of this that I'm we're saying? I'm not sure. I think the point is this happens every time. All the time. This happens every single time that there's an advance, what we'll call an advance. Artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence. Here the robots go. are coming to take my job. Oh First, my they're going to take my job, and then I don't even know it, but they're going to be in my home. Oh, my gosh. And they're probably going to be, in some fashion, directing my life, and I'm yeah. not even going to be aware of it. And what we would say is that on any of these examples that we've talked about, the people at that point in time when these things came up embraced the idea of it, Yes, solved for risk, yes. solved for what the problems could be, but absolutely went full forward on identifying the opportunities and trying to make them opportunities for everyone. Isn't it interesting how in each one of these things that initially there was only the privileged that yes. had access yeah. to these things. Right. Over time, they became something where we said, well, really, everybody yeah. needs to have access to these. Yeah. That's one thing that we would say could absolutely be better, and that we think those of you in the future have solved this. When you have a great new advance like AI, one of the first things you do is you need to say access to this needs to be available yeah, to it needs everyone. to be universal. It's too big of a deal. Yeah. That's yeah. a great, great observation, Dave. It really is. And again, it gets back to let's make sure we're always asking the proper value questions and proper ideals questions. Exactly. So as we are kind of preliming the conversations, ongoing conversations that we will have about AI during these uh, chats, you know, we invite you to come along and come along with a sense of wonder, excitement, optimism about all of the potential benefits and a real need to address potential risks but to do that with courage. And we look forward to having those chats. Mm -hmm. Okay, Lee, how about another quote here? Well, sure. Uh, I hope that many of you recognize the name George Carlin. 
George. If you do not, brilliant, brilliant comedian and social commentator in the 20th century. One of my favorites, and I think Dave's as well. So here's a, a very, very powerful, meaningful quotation from him. George Carlin stated, Don't just teach your children to read. Teach them to question what they read. Hmm. Teach them to question everything. The value of an education is not learning many facts, but rather the training of the mind to think. And Lee and I did a picture on education and talked about that in the last season of podcasts. And so this quote conjured that up for us. And it really is interesting, Lee, how the need to remember facts has just dramatically changed with the internet, as we've just talked about, and with uh, all the computer advances and the ability to now quickly locate facts. We just hey Siri, yeah. what does this mean? Yeah. And boom, you can get numerous sources back in inst- in an instant. As a pronoun, this means and there you go. To identify a specific person, <laughs> or being experienced. Now I was. That's now, now I was going to say. I wish you thought, leave that in. No, don't edit that out. No, I, no, I, no. We're gonna leave, we're gonna leave that one in because as Lee was saying that, I was like going. No, Siri, thank you. <laughs> wow. So that is our perfect example of the fact that we have these capabilities at our disposal. That was not scripted folks, or prompted th- th- in any way, This is live, folks. okay, live. and we're showing you all the blemishes behind the curtain. So the second part of the George Carlin quotation there is quite meaningful, and it's about critical thinking, right? So Dave and I in previous podcast seasons have put forth this. How can we help ourselves and children understand which sources of information to find credible and Mm -hmm. trustworthy? Mm -hmm. How can we instill in them critical thinking to say what I'm reading here, what I'm consuming here in terms of information, is it real? Is it factual? Is it truthful? Is it biased? Where did it come from? All of those things. Yeah, it occurs to me, Lee, that one of the things that we we put forward last season and we'll do so again this year is the notion that that's really a never ending process and lifelong learning certainly facilitates that because you will sit here and look at an issue or in a topic and you'll go out and get good sources and then you come to a conclusion at that point in time about what you think about that and then new stuff happens yeah new things happen with that issue yeah. and you go back in and see whether or not those new things are changing your perspective yes and you may tweak what you thought or you may keep it the same or you may radically change Mm -hmm. what it is and then that change you make then is only as permanent as the next wave right of new sources new information comes in it's it's ongoing it's Mm -hmm. lifelong learning lifelong questioning well that's a great way to state it yeah and so uh we love the carlin quote and really believe that the ability and the skill to be able to do that, to ask questions, to critically think, is absolutely a key component of any educational structure going forward. And we think those of you in the future have solved that. Yeah. And you do that as a matter of habit. Absolutely. Okay. We want to sometimes have a just an example that we call out uh, kind of under the umbrella of optimism and gratitude. And we love the term momentum. Mm-hmm. Momentum is important in life to feel like you know things are moving. You're not at the finish line. You never are. 
but things are moving in the right direction. You have momentum. And we just thought today we would just have a few brief gratitude statements here. Mm-hmm. So we are grateful for our ability to make our own choices and decisions in life. There may be occasions when we wish someone else could or would decide for us, but ultimately we think it's beautiful that almost all the choices and decisions in our life, whatever they may be from trivial to significant, they belong to us and that they are owned by us. So in closing, what are your ideals? What are your pictures? What are your actions to take? What is your influence to use? Thanks so much for joining us. We'll talk to you soon. See you next time. Thanks for joining us today. As always, feel free to explore more about Pictures Out There at picturesoutthere.com and major social media sites. We hope you have the day of your dreams, the day of your pictures.